0: Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the original 90s football podcast. On this week's show, we talk Battle of Britain as Leeds and Rangers hit the European highs and lows, battle in the ballroom as Ozzy Ardegis says goodbye to Tottenham, and a real battle on the field as Man United head to Turkey for the first time. Welcome to hell, and welcome to This Week in the 90s. This is Jason Summerby, star of the Renford Rejects, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s! It's just a twosome today. Yeah, we um, we dropped Joel during the international break. He was on international duty and he's come back with a flu. So Joel is not with us tonight, but doesn't mean... It's any less of the show. In fact, there'll be less Middlesbrough again, so you'll be very pleased about that. Um, but I have with me my old comrade, Mr. Matthew Chris, writer for a plethora of outfits, including some NFL stuff. He's been doing today. He's been doing the other shaped ball, the egg shaped thing. Um, how you doing, Matthew? Can you hear that? Can yeah. you hear that? That's the uh, <laughs> that's the sound of the sound of silence
1: as uh, as the song goes. is isn't, isn't it sad not to have the dulcet tones of Mr. Young?
0: Ringing in our ears for, for one week only. Oh, well, but, get well soon. He's, he's got the flu. He's probably sat up in bed watching Top of the Pops. So he's definitely not watching what's on BBC One right now because it's a question of Sport. So we definitely know he's not watching that. Yeah, I'm always a bit suspicious of these people that go off on inter- international breaks and then come back with some kind of illness.
1: Or you could say he picked up a knock in, on the international break, maybe. That's what... Uh, how the manager would excuse it, yeah.
0: wouldn't he? He's probably uh, actually just stuck to the radio because didn't Middlesbrough beat Palace tonight in the Carabao Cup? They did, uh, yeah. yeah. was that? finished one 0 So yeah, he's probably one like, Yeah, yeah. He's probably imagining the heavy heights of um, Wembley once again under Tony Pulis. So yeah, won't happen. I don't think Did they get in the draw? I didn't even see. They. I did look, and I. Co- oh, they got a. Uh, uh, Burton Albion. Oh, there you go. Semi-finals could yeah. be on then for Middlesbrough. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, so uh, yeah. We're, we're, for for the lack of Middlesbrough talk, there is now. Yeah, I know we'll soon actually, be making up for it. In, uh, in and a we're actually of weeks. sitting
0: there talking about Middlesbrough, so that, yeah, that's my yeah. talk about that. Um, but let's talk about the nineties. I mean, we've been away a couple of weeks, um, unfortunately, just uh, some scheduling issues. I've been very, very busy on a new launch um, in my day job. Um, but we did the, the rivalry show, which I think went down very well. and We talked to Alan Smith and and you and Greg Lansdowne um, had a head to head. But I thought that was that was a good show. Yeah.
1: I, I thought it was very sporting. I don't think. Yeah. We, um, we we came to blows, you know, Aller, Wright, or Schmeichel, or Keane, or Vieira. I thought it was all very sporting, probably because my dad's an Arsenal fan, hailing from North London, and um, I always had a bit of a soft spot for them. Years ago, particularly the Michael Thomas moment and uh, various other Arsenal Liverpool-related incidents when United weren't good enough to be in cup finals or uh, battling out with Liverpool as Arsenal did. In the late '80s and early '90s, I sort of uh, always sided with Arsenal on that on that um, in that case. So yeah, I, I particularly I didn't particularly dislike Arsenal. So uh, all the the hype that we built up around that show, I, I, I got a lot of respect for the club. So uh, it did. I was tested a bit in the, the late '90s and the early 2000s <laughs> with the, with the Keown incident, particularly. Of course, but, yeah. um, I can look back at it now and laugh like we all, yeah, well, like
0: we all do. The show seems to ignite a bit of hatred in some of our listeners, though. They seem to revisit that um, that rivalry, which was nice, which we aim to please. I hope.
1: Well, it's good to get a bit of yeah. It's good. We aim to please. Yeah, exactly.
0: or we, we do try. Yeah, we antagonise. Any emotion, you know, hit us up on Twitter yeah. at ak90s. Yeah, and it just. Whatever you want to say, whatever you do we did a uh, tweet today as it's Halloween the day we're recording um, a Tony Adams advert from the nineties, which was quite obscure, where he gets taken hostage by some jaffa cake people. Very random. Check it out on the Twitter feed, but yeah, it seems to have gone down quite well today. Um, right, what are we talking about though? Um, yeah, we have missed a couple of bits while we've been away. Uh, we didn't really talk about the Norwich by Munich game, but we have done a show. Pretty much on that night in the archives with uh, Donald Parrish a Norwich fan of ours, so check that out and we can briefly talk about the second leg if we get time tonight. Um Villa beat in um Inter Milan in nineteen ninety, we missed, um with David Platt and uh, Kent Nielsen scoring, although they lost the second leg three uh, 0 Do you remember who was manager of Villa in that season? It'd be the doctor, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, Joseph Fengloss. That Fenglos, was his name, yeah. Yeah. The good doctor. The good doctor, yeah, that was very um, rare in those days, wasn't it? A, a foreign boss in the uh, in the English top flight, but yeah. It's the other way around these days, isn't it? And still not yeah. still not seeing an English manager win the Premier League in what we twenty six years into the league now? crazy mm-hmm. crazy well we'll talk about the last one who won the league in just a second um, and the only other thing we kind of missed that we probably would have talked about and Matthew's probably glad that we won't is that wretched week for Man United in 1996 uh, the 5-0 defeat and then the defeat to Southampton a few days later um, which we've covered quite a few times. Yeah the there was a third so. defeat as
1: well that, on that spell wasn't there there was uh, United lost to, I think lost three in a row. Lost it's to Chelsea, Chelsea. yeah um, and then in typical United style as they did in the mid-90s they just it, it sort of kicked them into gear and then i think they only lost one or possibly two games after that and went on to win the league quite easily which at the time you just couldn't see happening could you mm. i mean the uh, infamous 6-3 the 5-0 i mean everyone just thought the wheels had come off and that was that and i remember everyone rejoicing and and thinking um that was the end of the dominant united in the nineties and if anything it, it it spurred them on so
0: uh mm, philip albert moment is the is the one that, that they all remember isn't it with martin Tyler completely yeah. his, oh, Albert has <laughs> these kind of gary Neville moment in the nineties but yeah I mean sue Michael was never prone to a bit of a lob wasn't he yeah Every well when he was then...
1: i've said this before when he was lobbed he didn't have he, went, Kentlock, he had a yeah. bit of a dying <laughs> swan routine, didn't he? Yeah. he uh, Euro 96, he did it. It was, um, it was almost a case of, if you're going to chip me, chip me, and, and I'm going to make everybody look at me as the ball <laughs> flies over there my a, head.
0: So. There was another goal as well I, I tweeted earlier in the week, because it was also this week in the 90s that we talked about this game, I think a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago, when Federbarchi beat Man United, and it was the first European loss for United at Old Trafford. That's a chip, which I never realised as well. That went over... Uh, P. H. Michaels, and again he does that kind of, you know, it's go, if it's going over me, it's going to go over me in style, kind of motion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. He, he had that. He, he had that knack of sort of dropping his hands. Yeah. It was like it's like a heavyweight boxer that had caught one rise on the chin, and he, he just sort of fell back, uh, legs akimbo, and uh, yeah, it was it was almost an art form, really. He, he, luckily, he didn't get to. Um, practised it too many times but when he did it was uh, it left a, a lasting impression obviously yeah. because we're still talking about it 25
0: years later. Yeah we'll talk about him later because he gets stuck in in a different kind of way in, in a in a game that we'll talk about in just a bit. Um, let's kick off with um a, a game well, and well not just one game a tie because the first leg we again this is missed but we can tie this in with the second leg because that was this week in the 90s. The first leg was 21st of October 92 and I'm talking about Rangers versus Leeds which was billed as the battle of Britain at the time when it still was the champions versus champions in the early days of the Champions League. So Rangers, who were the reigning Scottish champions, Leeds, who had won the last first division in 1992. I remember this. Uh, I think we really briefly touched on this a few episodes of This Week in the 90s ago and as such a massive deal. Um, it, I, I don't remember before that. It'd been quite a while. I've been trying to look back, actually. I couldn't really find the last time the Scottish champions and the English champions met in Europe. It was quite a while before that. Um, it was ten years since Scotland had even beaten England in any competitive fixture, as well. What are your before we talk about the games? What are your memories, Matthew, of, of that build-up? I always remember that the newspapers having the big battle of Britain and the two, you know, the two badges and the the, the British flag in between. They really went to town on the build-up to this, didn't they?
1: Yeah, and I suppose it was because uh, it was so unusual. I mean, I should have looked at this before we, we, we spoke about it. I'm trying to think of the top of my head of clashes between English teams in Europe or uh, English and Scottish teams there was, a, there was a famous game in the early 70s I think when Leeds played Celtic I'm, I'm, I'm clearly off the top of my head and I think there were about 130,000 people at, um, at Parkhead that night uh, infamous well there always seemed to be about 200,000 people at Parkhead or how much uh, uh, Scottish games back in the 70s and um, and there was a classic encounter between Forest and Liverpool in 78, yeah, 79. 79 yeah. um, Liverpool had uh, drawn Forrest in the first round because it was unseeded then. So basically, I'm trying to remember who was it, uh, Liverpool were champions. Uh, the, the, no, Forest were champions, Liverpool were European Cup holders. And they drew each other in the first round and Forrest uh, basically did a number on them, uh, as they did quite often in the, in that era in the late 70s when they were the dominant force of English football um, that's quite a famous story but other than that I'm trying to think in the sort of 80s and 90s it well, didn't really it happen. Me. I found it I, in
0: 1980, 81 was the, the, the time before that which was Aberdeen and Liverpool in the, uh, the second, yes um, yeah. and I remember United played
1: Dundee United in 84 in the UEFA Cup oh, it, uh, it's, a it's not this cup.
0: List, but this might be the Champions League yeah, this yeah. The Champions league. Uh, yeah, yeah oh, fair enough like, yeah. European
1: Cup so, yeah, United had Dundee United, but it was, they always seem to be, all, well, they still are, but, I mean, this is an era where you had less teams from each nation, uh, so to speak, involved, and it it, it was a, it was quite a rare occurrence. So when it did crop up like this, it was a, a real talking point. I mean, the ironic thing is now that it doesn't happen so much, as we said before, because, for one, Scottish teams have to go over about six hurdles to get into European competitions now and um, and then when an English team and a Scottish team do get into Europe either the Scottish team doesn't qualify when they do, they're kept apart it's all a bit gerrymandered so yeah. the beauty of this era was it was everyone in the hat and if it comes out, it comes out and that's exactly what happened on this occasion and uh, yeah, like you say it was, a, it was a, a huge, huge game I mean if you think of the teams that were involved you had that Rangers team that were sort of the, the last one of the one of the most memorable rangers teams i suppose you could you could say our friend uh, mark hateley mark hateley oh yeah, he's, he's very uh,
0: good across these two legs
1: yeah um McCoyst and uh, all the all the classic household names of that that uh, rangers era and of course it's the, the lead team that, that won the league uh, the well, pitts united should we say the season before, or some people could say United you know, handed it to them on a the plate. But I think you've said that, that be, before, yeah? That wouldn't be fair. You've got to win. The, you know, Leeds to, had their chance and they took it. In fairness, so um, we won't <laughs> talk about that again. But um, <laughs> go in the archive. We, 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 put, we talk about yeah. it a lot. <laughs> but no, it was a huge game. And do you remember the um, away fans are banned yeah, from so you,
0: these these encounters? And I'm not quite sure why. I, I I've tried to research this and can't find the actual. You know a confirmated reason why this was happened. I mean, I I, I imagine being English and Scottish teams, they were worried about trouble. That seems to be the... It's a bit of a a
1: generalisation though, isn't
0: it? to say, you know, English team playing Scottish team, well, that's it.
1: You can't have any way fans. Um, Yeah, I don't... Really remember it, but it causing much it—it was just done and dusted, wasn't it? It was just that was the rule, and you've got to get on with it. And, um, but it makes
0: for a really eerie atmosphere for both games, does it? Especially yeah, given the way the results go.
1: The ibrox game, particularly—I um, remember I've heard some accounts from some of the Leeds players. Uh, that night I think Gordon Strachan or, or Gary McCaster saying that he'd never heard and didn't like it absolutely it was just I mean I'm, I'm sure Ibrox is, is like that or was like that a lot back then but he just said that it was an absolute wall of noise and um and it's something he, that, that he's never heard since so um it, it was the same at Ellen Road I believe as well but yeah um I think Ibrox the, the, the old nature of the stadium was a bit more enclosed so it was probably um it was probably magnified a, a few more times than Roe. But, um, yeah, and, and there was an early goal, was it? there yeah. not? The, well, yeah, um... let's
0: talk about the uh, the game. I mean, so there's 42,000 fans at the the Ibrox, the first leg, 21st of October 1992, um, so the, and all Rangers. So I like can imagine the atmosphere. That's It's not a half full ground, 42,000 fans. So you can imagine it's a very unusual atmosphere. But they were completely silenced, and they really, really were. If you watch the highlights, on the internet, you can see how the crowd just shuts up because Leeds got off to the perfect start um, with a sweet, sweet volley from Gary McAllister. Um, and a, man, a name we haven't really mentioned a lot in here. One, a name that was very well-renowned in the 90s and going into the 2000s as well, when he's uh, in the extra bit of his career at Liverpool. But this at this point, because I think going into the game, Leeds were kind of seen as favourites because as, as good as Rangers were... I still think there was still a slight stigma to the fact that we, you know, this is England, this is this new Premier League, this are the champions we Leeds should beat Rangers. And I think at that point, that's the way everyone thought it might go. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm sure
1: yeah,
0: our Scottish friends would probably say that's so an yeah. English ar- arrogance. Oh, but course. I mean, I
1: suppose yeah, um, on, on paper, considering odds and everything, I suppose you've got to look at the, the leagues and you've got, back then the Scottish League was, dominated by two teams i was going to say as it is now but it's not even that now really is mm, it half of the league. yeah i mean we'll see but i mean the last sort of five six years it's basically dominated by one team so you can see why there's a, a a bias towards the english team but um but then saying that how good were that rangers team back then i mean i'm sure we'll, we've spoken about them before and we'll speak about them again i mean they're a they're a brilliant team so um
0: this was Yeah, this was pre-Gazza kind of Gazza and Loudrop as well, wasn't it? Because you, yeah. you kind of think this was the first very good team and then they went into that re- even better team for much just because you added that kind of flair of Gazza and Loudrop. But you mean you mentioned McCoyston-Haitley. You had the stalwarts at the back, like Richard Goff and Dave McPherson. Um, Ian Durant, who I always thought was a clever player. Stuart McCreary, yeah, he was, yeah. Trevor Stephen, yeah. who, again, probably an underrated player, was great for England. Andy Gorman in goal was the Scottish number ones. So this was really... A solid, yeah. you know, a Scottish base when Scottish football was in a much better standard than it is now. Um, so they were a very impressive. Ian Ferguson, there was another one as well, and they kind of they had the Who was the guy? Peter Hoekstra as well for that bit of yeah. you know, the, the, the Dutch guy. So they, it was a strong, strong team. And um, but but they took the lead. And then as far as own goals go, <laughs> from goalkeepers, when you th- when you see uh, a goalkeeper, with an OG uh, next to him at the end of a scoreline, you kind of think, oh, it's probably hit his head or hit the back of his. And, um, and got in off that that's what normally happens but this is an absolute cluster from John Lukic isn't it this equaliser
1: yeah yeah I mean like you say it rarely it I mean you you only really have two types of own goal from a goalkeeper really don't you uh, and this this is the other one really isn't it um, the, uh, the attempted punch stroke clearance that goes the wrong way and goes into the net um, yeah I mean one in a one in a hundred chances yeah. not more yeah um, i'm trying to think of any other famous that, yeah. incident i mean so you can think of plenty that have gone in off the back of a head and, and and always a bit harsh you, you could almost argue shouldn't be given his own goals but um but this one the uh the usually reliable lukic um i suppose he got his angles wrong <laughs> that's the only way of
0: yeah no, the right. only way of putting it really but that put Rangers back in and then they got the winner on this night, um, a bit of a scramble from a corner, big Dave McPherson header and then Ali McCoy's doing what he normally did best for Rangers as well uh, in on the rebound to give them a 2-1 lead going into the second leg which was on the 4th of November at Ellen Road. Uh, a little kit geek, interesting fact is that Leeds wore the away kit for the away leg, but all the obviously the home kit for the home leg, meaning they didn't really need to wear their away kit. I'm not one that's ever got a problem with teams wear their away kit when they don't have to, it's an away kit, they can wear it. But I just thought that was a kind of a little geek fact. Two great kits as well.
1: Yeah, you, I was gonna say, I'm surprised you didn't mention the classic uh, ranges. Oh, I know it was a template kit, maybe. but I mean, it was of a it was of a
0: it of was deer, of an era, wasn't yeah. it? It was.
1: It was of a, a, a relatively new template, wasn't it? It was, yeah. came in during the...
0: teamwear. I think this was Adidas teamwear. I think it was called.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I know. It was the two, off the top of my head. I'm thinking it was the two shoulder sashes, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, the two Liverpool had the
0: same at the time, and yeah. 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 One of my favourite Liverpool kits is the green version of they had, which I think is this, yeah, it would have been this season, uh, 92, 93, which is one of my favourite kits of all time, the green away kit with the big two Adidas. But yeah, it was a very much template of the time because the 94 World Cup then had the next version of that where a lot of teams had the same kit as well. But yeah, and no, I appreciate that. Um, the second leg then, uh, Ellen Road, Leeds still probably considered in the tie at 2 1, especially with the away goal, but. Two minutes in, another early goal. Um, this was a this is one of those goals that I'd completely forgot about, kind of forgotten goals in the nineties. What a sweet volley from Mr. Hately.
1: Well, I mean, what can you say about Mark Hately apart from being a, a thoroughly decent chap and a, a good company at our live show back in the summer? But um, yeah, he was he was a powerhouse, wasn't he? I mean, he, he had a shot on him; he was brilliant in the air and. Um, it, maybe hey, looked upon Potter that has been in the twilight of his career back then which I suppose he was in fairness um, I mean what would he have been back then mid late 30s but yeah because um, he
0: came to Rangers uh, I mean in QPR in 96 and he was 30 yeah so yeah I'd say early 30s at this point yeah yeah which I mean I
1: suppose isn't I mean obviously at the, at the age I was at the time you thought of him as an, a sort of an old man but we all think that don't we and then you get old sounds like older, quite you? a young man
0: now yeah yeah you
1: think now <laughs> you think blinding, but um no, he was a, he was a, he was a top player, and he could always do that. He could always he was the classic old school forward, wasn't he? He could he he, he was a threat pretty much everywhere. And, and as he told us that night in um, in London, you know, he wasn't afraid to mix it up a bit. He could he was a, an aggressive player. He'd be the first person to admit that, and uh, it wasn't necessarily dirty, but he was he was hard, and he was in, and he, he had a lot of people respected him for that, especially when he played in Italy. Um, but he was obviously a, a really good. Attacking player and um, yeah, he had a shot on him, which we uh, he, he he demonstrated on this occasion.
0: Yeah, I mean the partnership with him and McCoist as well. I mean over that period they were so prolific for Rangers. This was a, a period where they completely dominated. This is the in this is in midst of the the nine in a row titles that they had in Scotland uh, over Celtic. So this was a, a prolific partnership, and it's that partnership that gets the second goal um, on the hour mark. Uh, Hayley crossed, and again McCoystid, um in the right place at the right time, and that kind of killed the game off there and then I think Andy Gorham pulled on a couple of saves before Eric Cantona scored very late on which was by then game over but over the two legs I think Rangers were very much worth the win weren't they
1: yeah oh yeah I couldn't disagree with that and um, I think it, it it sort of yeah it
0: showed them in the light that they're probably
1: not looked upon this well, or weren't looked upon this this side of the border at the time I mean we we harp back to it now and say what a what a decent team they were but that's because we were, were we're sort of biased and we we loved this era but I the, the Joe Public man on the street whatever you want to call them I, I wonder whether they actually ever did give give them the credit that they deserved really because there was always that stigma of oh well you know what have they what have they done outside of their domestic league but um yeah I it, it would always would always uh
0: Say that they were a, a match for any team, and they ser- certainly proved that mm, they were. They were certainly, with the form team going in as well. Licky had, Leeds had a very sticky start to that season, and we saw what happened. You know, re- as yeah. reigning champions at that point, but it was a really terrible season uh, for Howard Wilkinson, especially after Cantona left uh, a couple of months later. But Rangers went in this, to this game twelve wins in a row. You know, it was kind of they they were unstoppable at that point. Um, so they, yeah. they should have gone in as favourites, even though, as we say, I think we're a little bit biased towards the English team. But yeah, Rangers, and also. Something I was looking at, they could have gone on to win this competition as well because they actually were knocked out by the eventual winners Marseille, who then were kind of stripped of the title as well. And they were they were in that game against Marseille in those games. It was a group stage. They finished second to Marseille. So yeah,
1: was, this was in the old format of yeah.
0: the uh, new Champions League, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? You had the, they, well, they changed the was... format. Like over the next few seasons don't they they keep changing it but yeah this was a, a new format it was, to it was know. almost
1: a reverse yeah. of what we're used to now It was several knockout games and then two groups which then went into a semi-final wasn't it or, a, yeah. or the winners of the group went into the final or it was, it was I think it was the top two when we should know this because we spoke about it the other week but um, yeah and I do remember Rangers having a good go and uh, and yeah probably could have could have and should have, have have done better now as we know, all know what happened to Marseille then uh, there might be a, you know, a few sub stories there I suppose in hindsight but, no, but it was, uh, yeah so
0: it was the top two from each group that went on to the final so yeah Rangers were a point they left behind Marseille in that and uh
1: strange format that yeah. is thinking about it what it, sort of anti-climax there i mean in any format in any tournament you should always really have a semi-final shouldn't you if not a quarter yeah. final but to to get rid of that and just have the two group winners go th- through to a final is a real dampener i mean no wonder they scrapped it i mean they've made a the balls up of it in the years since but i mean that really is the worst thing you could do isn't it because you're just you're depriving everybody of the, Excitement of a proper knockout football, a a proper semi-final, yeah. So, no wonder.
0: Looking at those teams is really interesting, though. So, in Group A was Marseille, Rangers, Club Bruges and CKA Moscow, and then in Group B was Milan, Gothenburg, Porto, and PSV. Not many European heavyweights at that point, but I suppose that's when all the champions were involved. So, you're not going to get your 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 three or four teams from the same country, are? Well,
1: no. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, going back to the like, we took it back to the late seventies. When we first started talking about it, but you look back at some of those cup runs of teams that English teams beat to get to the Euro- various European Cup finals. I mean, Liverpool particularly in the seventies and eighties. And you think you look back and you go, Phew, didn't play many, but, you know, not many names there." But you got to remember, they're all there on merit, and mm-hmm. they're all champions of their uh, respective
0: leagues. Relative yeah, respective
1: yeah. leagues, and I mean, I've said it, I said it earlier on. I mean, it, now it's almost choreographed that we have, we're so used to thinking that you're not really uh, a valid winner unless you've beaten Barcelona or Real Madrid. I mean, it was mentioned last year when Liverpool got to the final, people, I mean, apart from City, people going, oh, they got the easy route and uh, they got Roma and all that. But you think, well, you've still got to beat these teams. And just yeah. because you're not playing Barcelona or Real Madrid... That doesn't mean anything, really. And as we know this season, they're not
0: necessarily doing yeah, that well. You will have you to play with them this season.
1: Yeah. yeah, but it's it's sort of almost got into the psyche now, isn't it? Of uh, well, unless you play one of the big four of Europe, whoever they are, um, then you don't really deserve to win the European Cup, which is absolute bollocks. Because you really you you're playing the best team. You should be playing the best teams from each league in Europe. But as we said, and as I keep saying, they've messed around with it so many times. You just. You might as well just throw in the six biggest names in Europe into a a pot and they all play each other, which is ultimately what I I think is going to happen in the next 10 years anyway. So we'll have something else
0: to moan about. Yeah, we'll do that on our Keep It 2000s pod when we eventually run out of subjects to talk about on this one. Um, Saying that, though, we talk about the teams, the two top scorers in that competition that season were Romario and Marco van Basten, who's his birthday today, so I mean mm-hmm. it, that says it all about the caliber of players that are in those teams. So yeah, so Rangers, Celtic, yeah, as I said at the top of that, I remember it being such a big deal, but in the end, it was the Scottish side who was celebrating and went on. Uh, they also won the league that year in the Scottish, of course they did. Um, let's move on and talk. Um, let's, let's go back to domestic matters. Uh, we will go. We'll fall right back into Europe in just a second. Um, we're talking about. Um, a sacking here um, from Ozzy Ardilis so it was the 1st of November 1994 Ozzy Ardilis ended his reign at Tottenham a bit of background on this obviously Ozzy Ardilis a legend of, of Tottenham and of football in general obviously part of the a great Argentina team in the 70s and going into the 80s uh, he, was, he was appointed manager in the summer of 1993 after resigning from West Brom We'll remember Ozzy going to Wembley and all that Spurs tradition that he had. Um, The 93-94 season didn't go as well as they hoped. They finished 15th and Tottenham only avoided relegation on the penultimate game of the season against Oldham. Uh, They had a seven-game losing streak during the season, which was the worst of any Premier League team that campaign. Teddy Sheringham was injured for most of it. So in 1994, the summer, Alan Sugar really splashed out. Um, bringing in Jürgen Klinsmann, which we've talked about extensively on here, go in the archives and find out, as well as Ili Dimitrescu and Chica Popescu. The Famous Five was born, and but it didn't all end very well. Before we talk about that in general, um, Matthew, what are your abiding memories of Ozzy Ardilis? I mean, you, you are, we make no brains about it. We talk about the 80s in here, very big player. And then what you, what do you think of when you think of Ozzy Ardilis?
1: Well, I mean, he was, from an English football point of view, he was one of the pioneers of... Uh... Uh, what we now know as foreign imports mm. coming into the game. I mean, when him, he and uh, Ricardo Via arrived uh, in English football following the World Cup in 78, they were very few and far between. Um, I mean, he had the odd the odd exception, but I mean, they were almost um, ridiculed, really. Not, not necessarily those two, because they were top-class players, but foreign players were almost ridiculed. The sort of uh, foreign sort of coming over here Taking our jobs kind of attitude. Um, there's a lot of stereotypical things said and written at the time when they came over here. Um, that might you could say that's still that's only just recently gone out of the game, but um, it took a huge step when they when they came over here with Berkshire and Tottenham at uh, Tottenham in the late seventies. But um, blimey, did they uh, did they make a name for themselves and um, certainly paved the way for the for what we now know. Uh, what we take for granted now. So, uh, and not just that, they were, were really good players. And Ardiles particularly, was um, was a really good player. And the fact he's still worshipped by Tottenham fans. I mean, I, I went to a uh, a thing uh, last year, Football Whispers do, and Ardiles, both of them were, were guests. Um, they both played. I think, or well, they were sort of player managers in a in a Legends game. And then they were there afterwards doing speeches and mingling with fans. I mean, and, you, and you, these the Tottenham fans are absolutely. Blessed with these guys, and particularly Mm -hmm. Ardiles, and he just completely was taken to the hearts of the um, the the Tottenham fans, and still is. So, I mean, that that's always a great barometer of of how much a a player means to a club when when fans are still uh, can't get enough of these guys, and especially even fans that probably don't even remember them playing, but um, that's gone down in in folklore. So, um, obviously, a a club legend, particularly the early eighties with the two cup finals in the early 80s it was a difficult time for Padilla because obviously the Falklands, the Falklands war broke out yeah. and he had to he sort of went in, not went into hiding but he went back to Argentina to avoid the obvious backlash And uh, but came back and was none the worse really for his uh, for what happened I think people sort of quickly forgot that and forgave him and, and moved on from what I remember and um, yeah I, think, I suppose you could say this is the only sort of Blot on his copy book,
0: maybe, yeah. at Tottenham. I think when I think of Ossie Dardilis, the manager, I don't, I don't think he ever really performed. I, you know, he had some minor success at Newcastle um, uh, and at Swindon, didn't do very well at, uh, at West Brom. But I think he's, obviously, the reputation and the way he was averaged at, at Tottenham got him this job, um, he did have a, a playing spell at QPR in the late eighties as well, which not many people ever remember. It was, I think, maybe fifteen games he played for Rangers towards the end of his career, which is a nice quirk to his um, career that no one ever really thinks about. And I was go, yeah, he played for QPR too, but um, yeah, you could you could insert any name there at the end of their career, <laughs> could you not? <laughs> it's just one that no one ever really knows because it, it's you yeah. know, was, they, he's so associated with. Um, with Tottenham uh, in England and then the, the clubs that he managed, it's this one they always go, oh, did he really? It's like Peter Reid played for QPR as well, randomly. Not not to a very great extent, but the, that mid-80s team had some random names in it for sure. They must
1: have a great pension scheme there. <laughs> I mean, <you laughs> think all the great the players
0: that have gone there. and. Um, I think Jason uh, Park's still living off that as well, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you I mean, remember me as a manager, though? Because, I mean, it, as we say, it didn't work out for Tottenham here. So they started the season with this... You know, I think we've mentioned the famous five um, before on here, which were Jürgen Klinsmann, Teddy Sheringham, Dimitrescu, Darren Anderton and Nick Barmby. Kind of all out attack. It started the season with wins at Sheffield Wednesday, the famous Jürgen Klinsmann diving um, celebration, a win at Everton, then only two wins in the next nine. It it was kind of all out attack, a la Keegan, but very much not defence.
1: Well, I was going to say that in a way, these were almost the original entertainers, weren't they? Before the... um... Before the famous Newcastle team that we've spoken about many a time, the, the, this Tottenham side was seen as the, the, the forerunner to that, but ultimately not successful. But from a um, from a neutral point of view, they, they were fantastic to watch because it was the old adage at the time that they might score four, but they're dead in three. And I mean, they were I'm, I haven't got the, that those league games in front of me, but the results But I mean, they did seem to ship a lot of goals while scoring a lot of goals. So. Um, Probably wouldn't have been seen nowadays. That doesn't seem to be as uh, as much as a, a problem as it did then. But I mean, you know, now you I mean, again you look at Liverpool and everyone well, maybe not so much now, but last season in the season when they nearly won the league with Suarez, it was almost looked upon as a good thing to be so gung ho. Mm-hmm. But that um, then it was almost uh, I think most people realised it just couldn't carry on like that because ultimately it would catch up with them and it, and it did. But um, I don't think Adidas alienated anybody from. By doing that, I think um, I think most people loved him for it, and I'd be interested to know what Tottenham fans think of it. But I wonder, I bet even they probably now think, oh, you know, that was a, a almost the good old days, despite the fact they didn't
0: it didn't lead to much. But in terms of what happened on the pitch, it was. It was pretty good to watch. No, it was. I remember him being very. I mean, I was a big fan of Lee Dimitrescu because he was someone who came from the '94 World Cup back then, as we've talked about before. And here, when you, you know, when players make a name for themselves at a World Cup, that was always so unique—the Scalacci factor, as we like to call it on here. Um, we didn't know much about Dimitrescu and Popescu, but they, they came in. He, uh, they didn't pull up any trees. He went on to West Ham as well, did he, Dimitrescu But him with Teddy and obviously Jurgen Klinsmann who was such a big deal. Young Anderton and an even younger Nick Barmby. It, it was great to watch um, those games. You. Mentioned though they lost 4-1 to Forest, they lost 5-2 to uh, to a very average Man City team at the, at the time, and and the, the the last game was a three-nil defeat in the League Cup to Notts County. That was the the writing on the wall for Ozzie idealists and and he was given the boot by Alan Sugar because they went into this season with the possibility of actually having minus 12 points as well. But that. Um, uh, financial irregularities, but that see that they escaped that after an appeal, and and it didn't make a difference in the end because Ozzy Daly's team didn't quite make the grade. Um, he was replaced by Jerry Francis, much to the uh, disappointment of QPR fans like me. And um, they reached the FA Cup semi final and eventually finished seventh in the league. Um, so I mean, I kind of says it all. Nothing already. changes, eh? Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's funny, isn't it?
1: Because you look back at that Tottenham team, and it um, I don't know. It's just you wonder what it wasn't really a golden era for the club really was it i mean i don't know what i suppose the golden era we i think of is still the sort of early 80s but it seems to be many a false dawn really for tottenham in the 90s wasn't there it? there's it sort of there was always a promise and then uh, it never really never really led to much but i suppose you could say that is still the case today but not picking on tottenham particularly but i just always remember there was that sort of the beginning of the season, particularly this season, there was a, a lot of expectation around them, and uh, rightly so. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of uh, a lot of
0: dashed hopes, I suppose you yeah. could say. I think this season was very. It was like the nearly season, especially for Tottenham, because that we. I think we've talked about this before. The the semi final against Everton, everyone wanted yeah. this. Man United, Tottenham, a, yeah, I think final. the dream final, yeah, and it never really happened. And then the league form never quite got there. In the end, they finished seventh. I mean, in a kind of way, I'm blaming Aussie Idealist for the uh, the demise of QPR as well, because Jerry Francis, you know, left us. We got relegated a season later and didn't see the Premier League again for like 16 years. But you know, it's fine. He's a former he's a former Ranger, so I let him off. Um, but yeah, Aussie, end of Aussie idealists is uh, Tottenham Rain. I mean, he's had a, an eclectic managerial career after that. I was just looking at the teams because he never came back to England to manage, but he's managed teams in Mexico, in Croatia, Japan, what? Some other. Like, Israel, some team called Beata Jerusalem. So it, it kind of shows that he was never really cut out to be a manager, was he? Yeah,
1: I was going to say, with varying success. Yeah. So,
0: well, success being, you know, I mean. <laughs> being an optimistic word but uh, yeah
1: yeah. I think I mean I I don't want to sound patronized, but I think think he's so popular in the game I think people like him he's such a nice guy I think a lot of people just wanted him to be at their club and they felt he had something that he could he could offer and maybe behind the scenes he could but I don't think he was a a manager he might might have made a great number two or a great coach or a great uh, guy to be around in the dressing room from what I hear and what I've seen but um, I, I think that his managerial record would suggest that wasn't really what he was destined to do, really.
0: I think he's still the only World Cup winner to ever play for QPR, I think. Because he, yeah, he definitely was, when I, I wrote the yeah cheap Plug, a uh, QPR miscellany book a few years ago. I, uh, that factors in there, and I don't think... I'm trying to think of all the...
1: No, well, I can't think who would
0: have... Ridic- that wouldn't have changed. Yeah, I tried to of all the ridiculous signings that we've made in that Premier League year. I don't think there was actually a World Cup winner among them. So, yeah, he's still... Probably the only QPR World Cup winner to play for QPR. So there you go, FAC fans. Um, Let's go back into Europe then on our final subject tonight. Um, This I didn't really think much of this story I knew of it and I, I was just going to use it as a tidbit at the end then I found this clip on YouTube which I, I sent to you earlier Matthew we're talking mm. about Man United and the, the game against Galatasaray 3rd of an M, 3rd November 1992 this is a second round, second leg game so the first match ended in a, a 3-3 quite a, a, a thrilling game at Old Trafford actually um, 3-3 um, United were 2-0 up then 3-2 down and then Eric Cantona equalised late on um, for a 3-3 um, but this famed time, for a pitch invader running on the pitch and getting manhandled,
1: of course, yeah, aggressively by Peter Schmeichel, almost tossed into the crowd.
0: Yeah, if you ever uh, remember,
1: yeah, we don't want to cross that. big
0: Pete on that one. Um, no. But this isn't really about the game; it's about this trip because obviously we're still in the early days of Europe. English teams being back in the, Europe, we hadn't really seen uh, an English team going to Galatasaray at this point. Um, the hostile atmosphere they'd heard about, but watching this video that we found in YouTube and reading about what had happened, um, it really was bloody hostile out there. We always hear about the welcome to hell, but it was unlike anything I think those players had seen at that point. Um, what do you remember about the the tie in general at first? I mean, it wasn't a game you were you thinking of going to at any point, was it? Um, not this one. No, I'd, I'd been. I went to Barcelona uh, in the
1: following, following, following season. Yeah. Um, no, um, I mean it was it, for United. This is a sort of momentous uh, tie, really. Um, obviously, other people might not might not think so, but um, the funny thing is looking back at that video because I mean it, everyone talks about how hostile it was—the reception at the airport, the, the, the coach journey, the, the, the stadium. The only thing that ruins it slightly for me is is when you watch this clip that you sent me earlier. I'm sure you've shared it out, but the players almost look slightly. Be- amused by it yeah. all and almost not too phased. Which, I bet, is it nervous laughter though? Well I don't know because when at the time the word coming back, because um, bear in mind you didn't really see any of this footage, the word coming back was it was just the most horrendous thing and, and players were fearing for their lives and in all seriousness a lot of fans got quite a bit of bother that that trip. About 160 odd United fans were rounded up from their hotels the night before the game, imprisoned without charge. Several of them stayed were in prison for a couple of months. Um, and it was actually David Meller that flagged it up when he he was host of Six O Six at the time. And six oh six had gone a little bit sort of middle of the road after Danny Baker had had left it in the early 90s. And a lot of United fans got on to him and he, he brought it up in Parliament. And uh, you speak to United fans, Andy Mitten, the editor of United, We yeah. Stand. He, he talks about it. And you know, there it, it was this era of basically you went away in Europe at the time and you took your life in your hands, which I mean, yes, you, you still do to some extent. But uh, famously, the, 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 the rumour had it, rumour was at the time, and this was a, uh, an accusation, that the United... United had ran a supporters group to go to the game, 500 fans, what have you, uh, tickets through the club, uh, as, as still is the case now. But several hundred United fans went of their own accord, which still happens now because people don't necessarily want to go on a coach or with the, the club. And those fans were all rounded up and arrested and thrown in um, thrown in jail for quite some time and at the time some fans were accusing the club of basically grassing them up some people said it was because the police suspected that they were troublemakers because they weren't going with the club and and there there was a long sort of legal case and the government got involved and some some of these guys finally got out of prison after a good few weeks in sort of a, a hellish situation um and it wasn't much better on the pitch really um it's quite impressive, though, when you watch the, the the footage back of the atmosphere. I mean, some of those fans got into the ground about three hours before
0: kick-off. Well, it? Yeah, I've Singing read, and... some, some reports I've read, they were in there eight hours before. Yeah, that.
1: I can believe it. I mean, I went to United Fanabasic a couple of seasons ago in the Europa League away, and um, it's nothing like this now. But there's still that element of, you know, you're stood in the away and looking at all this, what's going on in front of you, around the whole stadium. And it's so alien to you because you're so... Now we're just so used to go, go to the ground five minutes before or five minutes afterwards in some cases, and just settling into a game, and it doesn't really get going until someone has a chance, and then everyone gets up and starts getting into it. But you go to a game in Turkey, and it's a it's almost a, a vocation. You go, people are there all day, and they get it's it's an experience for anyone that's ever. If you've never experienced it before, I'd recommend it. Yeah,
0: I know it yeah. makes I mean... What's really interesting about that the sort of video? I don't know what it's from. I don't know if it's a news report, or it's a magazine video. It's not because it's not that far from the inside United type. Yeah, and, and it had it's had quite a lot of behind the scenes mm. footage so, in it. I wonder if it's some sort of in club thing. But I mean, because in between the kind of the the sort of talking heads about with Gary Neville talking about how hostile the atmosphere is as an 18, 19 year old, you have got Paul Ince talking about how much he loved the country.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, that- well, I mean, I will say i went to Istanbul. Oh, I've been. To watch it's,
0: first, uh, it's a brilliant city. Yeah. And,
1: much, and it is, you go to a football game there and it's hostile. But I, that's, as I think it says in the in the piece, that's how it should be. If you can get an advantage by, yeah. you know, I mean, if you went to uh, Ellum Road or Anfield in the 70s and 80s, it might not have been to this extent. But, you know, that, it, they would have done anything to make it difficult for you. So I don't think there's any, you know, obviously you're not condoning, you know, any kind of threats to the players or, or, or the fans or what have you. But I think there's a mutual respect there. But their, their view is just do anything you can to gain an advantage. And and let's face it, United were champions of England. Galatasaray were obviously champions of Turkey, but were a relatively unknown mm. outfit. And they beat them over two legs quite convincingly. So, well, you know, on away goals. But, I mean, it's... So it, 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 they had to pick up on any kind of advantage they could. And they certainly did. Because people still talk about... Um, that game I mean I remember what a, a big thing it was because um United obviously went out against Galatasaray and I think United I think we had Liverpool or something the following season or a couple of weeks later go to different away games and people had Galatasaray scarves and I definitely remember going to a game and a Liverpool coach went past on the motorway and they all had Galatasaray scarves and I was thinking how oh. How bizarre that yeah, you know it's made it's such, such big impact, news that, yeah. that it, it was one of those names that I don't know about for you, but, you know, in the sort of QPR circles. But it was everyone knew the name Galatasaray because they knocked United out yeah. in Europe, and it was it yeah, was uh, that same luxury, unfortunately. Well, no, but it was just I mean now it's just not because we're so sort of used to European yeah. football, and then, you know it's not a big thing. But then it was almost it was that name that no one knew how to pronounce it when the straw first came out. But mm, yeah. by the time it was over, everyone knew Galatasaray were. Yeah. And, um, but you mentioned the, was...
0: uh, the advantage I mean there's rumours that the, the hotel staff at the time were putting phone calls to the players in the middle of the night to put them off the, yeah, the, no, the fans were throwing stones at the, the coach there's a great uh, image of Gary Pallister kind of half laughing that off in that clip but uh, at the same time you're wondering if he's thinking in his head what the hell have I walked into but yeah so something... well, I don't doubt it I yeah. don't I mean that was that was
1: probably the way it was. and then it
0: ultimately kicked off at the end of the game well yeah that's what's going to come I mean, the, the reports that the, what I've read coming out here I mean obviously what Eric Canton are basically Uses his rag at the end... ...because the game's a bit of a damp squib isn't it... ...it's a nil-nil... ...Galitasa I kind of play for the away goals... ...they're wasting time... ...so I think Cantona at the end gets the raving ump ...kicks the ball away... ...and I think he's actually sent off... ...after the final whistle... ...after it all yeah. kicks off... ...then in the tunnel... ...the reports that are coming out there... ...that the police more than anything taking chunks out of everyone
1: yeah um, well the, what
0: happened apparently was that the players went down into
1: the tunnel and the police were there sort of for their protection it was a but really
0: were, tiny underground tunnel in the yeah, uh, the, the Ali, classic yeah it was the alley samoyen stadium, stadium
1: yeah. yeah and um apparently a couple of the policemen were just you know gave a few of the united players a dig on the way through they, one of them whacked cantona with a baton or a, a shield and um apparently the room room it that brian robson saw this and went after one of the policemen and basically offered him, offered him outside this was a, a tooled up policeman with a helmet and a riot shield and brian robson offered him out went to swing back went to went to land a punch and he, as he swung his arm back he caught his hand on a, a hook that was on the wall and, and ripped his arm open so he had about six stitches in it, an arm injury that was put down to a i can't remember how they uh, I, think, I can't remember how they worded it, but they said there was a scuffle in the tunnel and Robson had a cut his arm and Cantona picked, a, was covered in bruises and what have you. But Someone it, threw it a says brick it
0: at Steve Bruce as well. I yeah, think. it
1: says in that um, it says in that sort of documentary that, that you shared there that, the, and it's quite rightly true that the United players basically were having none of it and the police yeah laid a few digs and they said right we you know Bruce Robson Keane and Cantona took... Pallister probably took it apart, and Peter Schmeichel, no doubt, gave as good as they got, which was never a great secret at the time. It was always a bit, it was a bit covered up, but I, it was the worst kept secret going that the United players basically. Gave it back. and yeah. uh, oh, they were, yeah, yeah, good, a good for of, them. A
0: team of men, wasn't it? Well, something else that also made me laugh in that clip. You saw Roy Keane walking with Lee Martin. There's two players yeah. I don't, didn't think ever intertwined in eras, wasn't there? That, that really made me yeah. laugh. Yeah. <laughs> silly, yeah. Silly oh, no, very, note.
1: Be, very fresh-faced Roy Keane. But I yeah. suppose he, was
0: only, he was only about 22 at the time, wasn't he?
1: Because he would have joined um,
0: that summer, wouldn't he? 92, 93. Yeah, he would have joined yeah. that summer, yeah. Yeah, that's so a little note that it, made me laugh. It was a very, I mean, I've said this loads of times
1: on this show, but it was a very inexperienced United team for what they achieved in terms of their European experience. I mean, even, even looking at that video and the reaction of the players, because apparently Ferguson made the players go out onto the pitch an hour before to basically experience what, yeah. they, and what they were seeing and they're just walking around laughing and kind of yeah. yeah and I mean I love that I mean I've watched that and I think that's brilliant and yeah. I just these days you just wouldn't get that in terms of the sort of PR machine you know those players would have been in the ground an hour before they had gone out they played the game whatever yeah. would have happened happened and then they would have been the head, got the head out of there yeah. But it, it, looking at the United there they almost look like a, a team in the third round of the FA Cup playing in a plum
0: yeah, tired, no, that's, good, that's, yeah, that's analogy, Walking yeah. around
1: and laughing and joking. And, and I love to see it, believe me, but it's just, it just doesn't look like United now, does it? It's, it looked like they were just pleased to be there and they were almost savouring the day out, which ultimately, I think, was their downfall for a lot of the early championship-winning teams was that they won the league and then they got into Europe and treated it as a bit of a, a, a jolly boy's outing and
0: got found out on more than one occasion. I mean, they're obviously... On the receiving end of a hiding at Barcelona, which is—I uh, think this week in the 90s as well. But I, we had—it's a game we talked about quite a lot, which yeah. have not included on this week's show. But um, yeah, a few high-profile. We spoke the
1: other week, didn't we, about the Gothenburg game? Yeah. And there were quite there were a few real high-profile slips from United in Europe, and it did take them a while to I really. To really, I think we said that they obviously had the foreign player rule, but then so did everyone else. So I think they just did. It's surprising because Ferguson obviously had experience in Europe with Aberdeen, and and he was he was no mug, but I just there just seemed to be an element of a lack of I don't know professionalism when they played in the European Cup, and it just seemed to bite them on the backside. I mean, Motor Volga Grad that we spoke about, and all those there's a book in there somewhere of all these United name, yeah. Yeah. names that we'd never heard of before that have given United a, a, a bit of a shock in the European That's Cup. But yes. this one,
0: I think Galatasaray would be the one. The fact that we still know just the name now, everyone knows you what happened. They'll say that, you know, when you get drawn away to Galatasaray and Champions League, even now, I mean, it's nowhere near like this. It's, as you say, it's a very different world we live in in 2018. But they have that reputation, that stigma because of nights like this. And Yeah,
1: uh, oh, good for them. I mean, I think football's
0: worse off without it, to be honest. I think you don't want everywhere to go. I mean, they've
1: worked, a lot of these clubs now are at new stadiums and, and I think i think Sassai have moved haven't they or they've rebuilt the Ali yeah. Sami Yen. so it's um it, no doubt it's not the same as it was and um i think that's a shame i mean again without i'm not condoning violence but it's just you you want you want to go somewhere and, and be shaken up by it and and, and it's a an experience that's the whole point otherwise you know like we say it's all just going to become very samey which it, you could argue it already has we're
0: already there um to, to... To tie a bow on this. I like. I loved Alex Ferguson's comment on it when he was asked about it later in the season. Um, he asked what was the atmosphere like. He just laughed and said, "Anything if you've experienced a wedding in Glasgow." <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, the funny thing is, United actually had to go back there the following season,
0: didn't yeah. they? Um,
1: which I remember well because it was on my birthday. Um, and Ferguson basically is in his pre-match uh well, press conference. They didn't really do them then, but no doubt in the paper the the, the Friday before or whatever it was before he said his words and the scene were we get in, we get a result and we get the hell out. Cause he was, I mean, he really knew what to expect the second time around. And, um, I think they got a nil nil away that time. But, um, again, it's a case of live and learn. And they did. And, and when it, when it happened again, they had to go back. I don't think they were as wide eyed and, 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 innocent as they were the first time. So it, did, it took them a good few years to take these experiences and, and learn from them.
0: Mm, indeed. Um, Sticking with Europe, and just quickly before we go, I said at the top of the show um, we missed the Norwich game um, because the second leg was the 3rd of November uh, 1993. I mean, this game is always remembered for the first leg, the first English team to win by Munich, the Jeremy Goss goal, which is always revered, even though it's not even the winner. It's the Mark Bowen header that later on gets the credit. But Jeremy Goss also scores in the return leg. Um, just quickly, Matthew, what do you remember about that? I mean, I remember it being a massive deal. Yes, Norwich in that beautiful kit. But little old Norwich, no disrespect to any Norwich fans listening, winning in Munich. It's, it's one of those great fairy tale stories of Europe, isn't it?
1: Yeah and again talking of old stadia that classic old oh, yeah. Olympic stadium in Munich that, that vast concrete bowl that it, it it was or still is I assume um yes i don't know without wanting to sound nostalgic which is ridiculous really being on a 90s podcast <laughs> but it just it just uh, european contests just seemed to throw up well just that contest yeah. then didn't they and um you know, we're just so used to it now, and we're so it was so sort of dumbed down. But the thought of Norwich um, playing, you know, such a playing Bayern Munich and beating Bayern Munich, and then they they went on to into Milan, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, not in into you
0: know, out, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And it's just,
1: it's just. Um, I mean, obviously, it would be a, he- a heck of an achievement if they did it now. I mean, especially considering they're not in the top flight. But I you mean, know, if if a team like that did get into Europe now. I, But then it's just It's been so watered down By so many teams This whole thing of Concentrating on the league And you know What team are they Going to put out Yeah I mean Yeah exactly that And I mean I remember A few years back Bolton getting into Europe And then they didn't Take it seriously In Villa Under O'Neill And you think You know I think it's just had Such a it's just such a long-lasting knock-on effect. Yeah. Well, I remember um, when
0: was it? Portsmouth played AC Milan in the Europa League one year and that didn't seem as big as it should have been. No, but I mean, you're you running the risk of,
1: oh, well, it's not the same as it was, like, you know, or the cup yeah. final, isn't it? Was, which I suppose does happen to every generation. But I do think it has been tainted. I mean, the cup final has been tainted because no one really wants cares about it. It's been played at all different times. It's been messed around. Of course, it's going to be tainted. And that does seem to be the case with... European competitions it's almost it was almost like a inconvenience of Burnley this year and when they got knocked out it was almost I mean talking of Battle of Britons they had Aberdeen, Aberdeen they, of yeah. course. and it was almost seen I mean that game would have been huge mm. if that was in the 90s if Burnley yeah, uh, the, the equivalent of Burnley I mean if that Norwich or you know who finished sixth or seventh had uh, Aberdeen or a Scottish equivalent that would have been a massive game but it was barely even barely even mentioned And then when they did lose, it was seen as a a blessing in disguise, which I can't stand. I think that's
0: a ridiculous way of looking at it. But, I mean, Jeremy Goss wrote his name into Norwich Folklore. I mean... Anyone of our era just instantly known to the name Jeremy Goss from this this game. I mean, he scored a fantastic goal against Leeds that season as well, which I always remember. But it did, yeah. That goal it's a great.
1: Great kit as well.
0: Yeah, great kit. I mean, you look at the, and again, no disrespect to these players. We've had some of them on the show, but the likes of Spencer Pryor, Ian Butterworth, Ian Crook, Mark Bowen, you know, against the Christian Zegers, the um, yes. Lota Mateuses, the Thomas Helmers. It, it was such a mismatch, and it's such a, like you say, Back then, it was such but, a big deal.
1: But then, English teams and British teams had a, a pedigree for doing that, didn't yeah. they? I mean, you look at you look at the going back again to the eighties and the seventies. I mean, with the exception of, of Liverpool, who were dominate so dominant, but I mean, you had Forest going and winning two European yeah, countries. Yeah. you had Aston Villa. You know, it's, it's it was a, it was almost a sort of a a way of playing teams. There was a, these teams, these giants of Europe, were so super confident they almost felt like the game was won. I mean, I mean, I said Liverpool are dominant, but I mean, you remember them going to Rome in 84 and winning in on Rome's home ground in that sort of atmosphere. I mean, the, it was almost, a, it was just a mindset of English teams, wasn't it? And uh, that just seems to have gone. But this, this was probably the, the, the last of that era, I'd say. Mm. And, and
0: Good old Mike Walker. Whatever happened to Mike Walker, eh? Yeah. yeah, well, Ever, well can... Everton happened to Yeah, I was going to say, he's not, he's, he's not thought of too well around these parts. Yeah. So, uh, Poor old Mark Walker. He had his moment yeah. in the sun, though, didn't he? Um, well, let's wrap that up. for. I don't think we, there's anything else we missed. There's probably a couple little tidbits, but um, I'm sure we've covered everything there. Jeremy Goss go down in Norwich Folklare. But remember Mark Bowen. Don't remember him as Mark Hughes' assistant manager, though. I don't remember him for that. I think he still is, actually.
1: Well, yeah, I think he,
0: I think he's followed Hughes everywhere yeah. he's gone, hasn't he? He's, worst <laughs> manager in the league. <clears throat> Um, anyway, that's that's wrapped things up, Matthew. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to read any of your articles on whatever you're writing about these days?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I've got a piece coming up soon about the Intertoto Cup. Oh, actually. you bloody so, love uh, the
0: Intertoto Cup! Yeah, I think I took my cue from you and Joel. So, oh, uh, yeah, we did that show, didn't we? Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. the Anglo-Italian Cup is the one you love, but yeah, yeah. Oh, I've done a piece on that as well. Yeah. Don't worry, any anything we've discussed, I've, I've <laughs> monetised <Yeah>. somehow. <laughs> we'll have to do we'll um, the Zen Data Systems in detail at one point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or they also whatever it was in the
1: 90s. was it the ZDS in yeah, the nineties yeah. it was, wasn't it? And Although,
0: they also shoot also windscreen. Yeah. That, that means a lot of Middlesbrough were coming our way, so maybe we won't.
1: Oh yeah, well I think <laughs> I'll sit that one out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's at Matthew J. Chris on Twitter.
0: Brilliant. And you can follow myself at AshRace UK or more importantly, follow the show at AK nineties on Twitter and at AK nineties pod on Instagram instagram and we'll be back next week with more this week in the 90s plus we've got an exclusive interview with former liverpool number one bruce grubbler coming up on a future show so look out for that and you'll be able to win a copy of his brand new autobiography just in time for christmas but until then i've been ash rose this has been this week in the 90s until next time keep it 90s